0: mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey, everyone. If you have ever considered becoming a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, enrollment opens soon. So whether you are a coach, you are a practitioner, or you are an athlete who wants to become who you needed during pregnancy, postpartum, or you just really want to learn more about this for the season that you're currently in, this is the certification program for you. It is totally online and self-paced, which means you get ongoing access to the curriculum. I would love to have you join the team of international coaches that are truly changing the game For women in their communities, whether it's online or just their local community, they are making a big difference. And I would love to have you join that effort so you can get on the wait list, which is at www.briannabattles.com slash wait list. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the practice brave podcast today. I'm going to be talking with you about exercise programming from the perspective as a coach, and then also navigating as an athlete. We will be hitting on themes about pregnancy and postpartum, but really just trying to create an overall big picture of how coaches and athletes can better program for themselves throughout all seasons of their life by understanding some main themes and concepts. And in order to help me have such a big conversation, um, I'm bringing in Heather Osby and she'll be asking questions and she understands my brain enough to know how to keep picking and picking until a big concept is broken down into smaller steps. Cause that's basically what she does with me every single day in business. So Heather, thanks for being here.
1: I'm so happy to be back. And I love to always break down your big concepts so that everybody can understand them.
0: Yeah. Like quite literally your job description.
1: Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. Cause I speak you and then I speak normal human. And so I can <laughs> translate.
0: Oh, well, I hope you guys are going to enjoy this episode because there's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot. And I also hope that you're able to take notes and apply it to your own unique situation and questions that you have with your own clients or your own body and how you're currently approaching your exercise programming and training in the season that you are in. So Heather, let's kick this off.
1: All right. Yes. Okay. So what we wanted to talk about pregnancy and postpartum, but probably focusing a little bit more on that rebuilding side of things. Right. But let's, let's talk about pregnancy first. Cause we were just talking before we went live here that, you know, there's the concept of progressive overload, but in pregnancy, that doesn't really apply. So can you talk a little bit about if it's not progressive overload, what is it in pregnancy?
0: So progressive overload is a concept of being able to gradually do more over time, basically getting in your reps and your practice and building your capacity and your ability to perform a certain movement or have some sort of improvement in your performance, right? Pregnancy is a slightly different approach. It's kind of like a a progressive deload where you are doing less over time because your body physiologically is doing a lot more as your pregnancy continues. And that can be really frustrating, especially for those who feel like they can just keep doing what they've always done and they just want to have super fit pregnancy. It can be hard to want to scale. And a lot of athletes will say like, well, I feel pretty good still, which is great. You don't have to scale dramatically. You just have to scale enough so that you are preserving your overall core pelvic health function and your long-term performance. So that's a conversation around can I versus should I? Could I? double under my baby out or like, you know, do a bunch of double unders on my due date. You probably physically could, but I wouldn't suggest doing that because that is not an appropriate programming stimulus for that point in pregnancy, right? Cause that's high intensity. It's really repetitive. There's already a ton of load on your core and pelvic floor, and we don't need to add the force of impact and repetitive impact and a high volume of impact at that point in pregnancy, So that's one example of like two contradicting things, right? Like 40 weeks pregnant and doing a high volume, actually high load, high intensity cardiovascular movement. Those would not be two things that I would recommend. So pregnancy is really about deloading your all-encompassing efforts towards exercise. You can keep doing a lot of the same exercises, but how you're doing them has to shift and change or be paused for a little while.
1: Yeah, and so let's let's dig into that concept a little bit, but let's break it down by trimesters, right? Because those changes are going to kind of be dependent on where you are in pregnancy. So, in the first trimester, what do we need to be focusing on, both like for ourselves or for programming for other people? What changes should we make to exercise at that point in time?
0: Yeah, I think this is when we have to start looking at the whole person approach and say, okay, my body is preparing to undergo a lot of change right now. Some people experience a lot of change immediately and dramatically. Their boobs hurt, they're tired, they're throwing up, or they're really nauseous. They have significant food aversions. And some people are like, I I feel pretty much okay. Other than this being overcome by like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Something is happening in my body. And like, no one knows. And so it's a big deal to you, but like not really a big deal to anybody else. And so there's a lot of different emotions and experiences that are getting juggled during that first trimester. And I think it's a great opportunity to experience like movement education and education around what your body is about to undergo. Cause you're not going to notice like significant physical changes. Even if you get like a little bit of a bloated belly, like that's not, that's not a significant physiological change on the outside, but there is a lot going on on the inside. And so you have to kind of change aspects of your approach, at least in acknowledging that shit's about to get real. I need to be prepared and I'm not trying to hold on to this identity and my exact way of training throughout my whole pregnancy. I am ready and I am willing to adapt. And that just means learning about what your body's gonna go through. Understanding that diastase is an extremely common experience in pregnancy. There's no avoiding it. Knowing that your pelvic floor is going to be more vulnerable because you have a baby growing and sitting on top of it. Your tissues, your fascia is having to expand. It's having to withhold new amounts of stress and strain Again, all normal, this is an extremely, our bodies are incredibly adaptable and this is what they are designed to do. And our training has to complement that. So understanding that and having that basic body awareness, movement education early on about the changes that are coming to your core and pelvic floor and what your training is going to look like is one of the biggest things I like to focus on during that first trimester.
1: Okay, so if I'm feeling pretty good or my client is feeling pretty good, no big adjustments to like reps, sets, overall exercise volume. I wouldn't say so. I,
0: I mean, I ne- wouldn't necessarily be recommending like hitting a PR and competing and doing things like that because that's just an extra level of physiological stress. And I wouldn't recommend that right now. You have to be able to weigh that like, can I versus should I, and is this truly serving me or is it serving my ego? And that's a really hard conversation to have. Trust me. I freaking get it. And I know you get it too, but You know, we're not looking to test boundaries at any point during pregnancy, period. But if you're feeling pretty good and you want to keep kind of doing your normal ish loads, sets, reps, et cetera, that's good.
1: And what if I or my client is like dying? I feel terrible, nauseous, tired, and I'm going to come to the gym because I want to do something. Like, would we put more rest in between sets? Would we lower volume? Like, what, what are we thinking there?
0: Yeah. I think intensity is a big one to take down initially. So you don't want them having you like a Metcon where they're like, Oh God, I really don't feel good. There's so much value behind going through the motions. And I say that like, not just like first trimester and when you're sick, but when you're postpartum, when you're a tired mom, when you're six months postpartum, when you're three years postpartum and life is happening, going through the motions and knowing like that will serve you more than pushing hard intensity when you're physically and mentally like not ready for it going through the motions is a great way to find that compromise between like all or
1: nothing. Yeah. That's such a huge thing to, for everybody to hear and like really take that in because it's no like one workout that matters, right? right? It's like the compound yeah. effect of, of um,
0: some of our habits. Right. And like, this is like my whole thing as a coach is like, this isn't just about pregnancy and postpartum, right? This is helping female athletes pursue a lifetime of athleticism. Therefore, you have to understand and work with your body as it undergoes different changes and stresses, whether it's core and pelvic health stresses or mental stresses, injuries, or just life, you have to work with the body and the season you're in now. And exercise is an incredible tool for doing just that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So now we, we roll into the second trimester. Hopefully, you know, many Come people on. are starting to feel a lot better at this stage, What are we thinking for adjustments to make? Let's talk like broadly with overall approach to exercise and mindset in that second trimester.
0: Yeah. I think this is a time where it's like, okay, shit's getting real. Like I have a belly. Maybe it's not super noticeable to everybody else now, but you're probably starting to tell more people um, and you can feel a little bit better about making some of those modifications. That's a big thing for the athletes I work with is them wanting to feel like justified in why they're why they're modifying their workouts. So I think those are those are like some mental things to consider for both coaches and athletes is like that permission. So you can just be who you are and where you are right now and like own it. There's nothing that's like you're not weak. You're not like you're not taking it easy. You're just making some adjustments right now. But it typically around it's usually between the 12 and the 20 week mark where we start to really reduce impact. And Again, just like we used that analogy earlier in the podcast about the jump rope, you're wanting to eliminate as much continual force and repetitive force on the pelvic floor when when your structure starts to change, when weight starts to change, when your center of gravity due to your belly starts to change. And when maybe you have ligaments that are just a little bit more sensitive to... So that a lot of that high impact right now. So that'd be like lower abdomen, pelvic floor. We don't want to aggravate symptoms, right? So we have to look at our training really holistically. And there's plenty of people that will argue with me about this, right? Well, they'll be like, oh, well, no, you can keep doing this, or you can keep doing that. And I try to come in as the non-clinician. I am the strength and conditioning coach, right? I'm not a practitioner. And I have to look and say, is the exercise choice and selection and the load and the volume and the intensity and all that does it complement the human right now? Like, what is there? Like, it's almost like doing a, um, a needs analysis or an injury assessment. Like, okay, if she's doing this movement over and over and over, what does that make her more at risk to, or what does this help her achieve? We have to be able to have this conversation in our heads of, is this serving or hurting? And sometimes there's a huge freaking gray area and that is fine, but it's knowing the human in front of you. Right? So if it's a pregnant person in front of me, I'm going, okay, like, is there a better way of achieving a very similar stimulus, but not having it, you know, potentially create symptoms or aggravate pain and discomfort, incontinence, anything like that. Cool. Because again, my goal isn't to just serve ego through pregnancy of like, you can do it girl. It's to say like, I want you doing this shit when you're a year postpartum without issue. Like that is my goal. And I think that's what your goal is, is that you'd rather be running and performing at a high level at a year postpartum than having that temporary high that comes from that particular movement during pregnancy. And again, people will totally argue with me on this, and that's okay. But it's my job as a strength conditioning coach to see if the exercise choice and how it's being performed complements the human at that point in their life.
1: Yeah, I think you do an excellent job of that. So we are going to al- start to eliminate some impact in the second trimester. So yeah. we're less running, less jumping, all of yeah. that. And that doesn't um, mean
0: like no running and no jumping. It's just like let's reduce it. Let's okay. re- let's reduce how it's done. If you are a dire runner, you're like I oh, want I want to freaking run. Then can you run for short durations at an incline on a treadmill, and then like give your body a chance to reset like that, it would be something I would encourage because now we're changing the, how it's being done. We're changing the stress and the repetitive stress. So I just want to like clarify there. And so then, yeah.
1: when you say, um, can you clarify like what a chance to reset is? Like if I run for a minute, like how long do I need to reset?
0: It's, I guess, adjusting for both the brain and the body being able to shake it out and say like, I know I had like really good form. I wasn't like holding a ton of tension in my glutes or I wasn't like really holding in my abs a lot. And I'm giving my body a chance to reset. And that can be a minute. That might be two minutes. That might be 30 seconds. It's just a a matter of being able to check in with yourself and do that quick self-assessment of how does my body feel? I know what I'm looking for. Am I really gripping my glutes a lot? Am I getting a long stride? Is that tits over toes um, cue that I like to use for a lot of my runners and high impact athletes, because that's creating a more available position for the pelvic floor to work in conjunction with the core system diaphragm. There's just a better position of force absorption.
1: Okay. So let's talk about switch gears a little bit within that second trimester to talk about lifting. So if we are having like a compound lift, a back squat, a deadlift, whatever, like what is the rep structure that you'd like to see for something like that at this stage?
0: Well, in compound lifts in general, I like a lower volume, you know, the, the goal of those or usually strength and strength and conditioning. I know that CrossFit will do like, you know, a 2159 of deadlifts or whatever. That's not how I, I like to program, but I would have like a lower, lower rep range for a lot of those compound lifts. And that's included in pregnancy too, as pregnancy continues. And I know this is a conversation we'll have as we get into like third trimester, if you wanted to do slightly higher volume in that, like maybe six to 10 range of deadlifts, well, then you're doing that at a lot lower volume where you're mostly just training a movement pattern instead of training the strength. You will still get a strength byproduct. It's just going to be a different way of achieving it.
1: And by lower volume, I think you meant lower load, like you would do the six to 10, but at a lower load. Yes.
0: Yes. So basically as, and this is general theme as like volume, the number of reps goes up the load goes down because we're wanting to maintain quality control.
1: And then when we go into some accessory type movements, maybe some dumbbell RDLs or bicep curls or whatever, where would you want to see reps and sets at for this season? Like the second trimester.
0: Yeah. I think we can put a high value on hypertrophy training and that's more in like those mid rep ranges, like eight, 10, 12, uh, 15. It just kind of depends on the movement. And again, the interest and doing like, three to four sets of those. And that is good. Again, we're trying to create well-rounded strength. And this is a way of achieving that without having to like kick your ass so that you're falling on the floor, like exhausted. It's like, you can still have a full body workout and feel really good and be strong without it having to, again, be this like all or nothing effort towards exercise. How you train is what should adjust during this chapter.
1: Like it. So third trimester. It's mm-hmm. the end game here. And yeah. what how do we approach exercise in the third trimester from a mental standpoint?
0: Knowing that you are not training for birth, you are training now to set yourself up for everything after that. So you're not trying to like, uh what's it? I know I'm so bad with expressions, but like pedal, pedal to the metal metal. Yeah. We're not. trying. I'm like floor. That doesn't rhyme though. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. That's not one of my strengths is analogies. Okay. So you're not trying to go like full send through your third trimester. You're just not, you're looking to start adapting more and more and more. And That does not mean that you need to stop. That does not mean it needs to be boring and slow. It just means you might start reducing the volume or not as many sets, or maybe you're taking an extra day off from that kind of training every week. That is going to be an an extremely individual situation. I know that um, I had a scheduled C section with Chance. So, like, I actually knew when I was going to have him. And I didn't work out like the week before having him. And that was like a very different approach for somebody like me but I knew I needed to just kind of take a step back and chill and just do a lot more. Like, how does my body feel? Can I stretch? Can I move? Can I walk? Can I do a couple maybe like squats and I'm moving my body, but I'm just, I'm not like training. I'm not working out. And for me, that's what felt really good. And I think that there's a lot of value in your third trimester your main event, your competition, your thing that you're training for. And I don't like putting birth in the same, same line as like you're training for the biggest athletic event in your life. I actually like really freaking hate that sentiment. Um, but you're, you have this day, you have this time ish that, you know, your life is about to change. You don't want to go into that transition smoked. You don't, yeah. you want to go in with as much like physical and mental preparedness and peace as you possibly can, and recovery, frankly, too. Like go in as recovered as possible, because you're going to be recovering from something totally different than exercise now.
1: Yeah, it's so good. It's so important, and
0: yeah. And okay. nobody wants to hear. Like, I would not have listened to this. Like my first birth, like, I would have been like, hell no, I'm going to like squat my baby out.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was jump wrapping at 41 weeks. Yeah, pregnant I, I my... know. Like, like so. Like, listen, if you're <laughs>
0: like having a hard time buying in. We get that. We get that. And just, there's something that happens about, I don't know, there's just like mom life maturity and like athletic maturity that you can start to see that value. And if you can see that earlier um, on, then like, honestly, more power to you, but it is a hard thing to buy into until you just do.
1: I mean, so many of our clients that come to us for fitness programs, it's usually their second pregnancy or their second postpartum, you know, like, and we were the same way after our first, percent. well, let's segue to postpartum because pregnancy is just that, that consistent deload, like we talked about, but postpartum, I think is a whole different ballgame. So let's talk about like, what, how long would you consider yourself postpartum?
0: Technically, forever. But when we are talking about when you are potentially where, like, where postpartum maybe carries a little bit more of a vulnerability attached to the name, I'd say, like, your first year, you are absolutely, truly postpartum, year to 18 months postpartum. Okay. Again, people don't like freaking hearing that. And that does not mean that at a year, you're like, boom. Shit's normal. And it does not mean that if you're three years postpartum and you have incontinence that's like, Oh, well I'm, I'm not postpartum anymore. I'm like, well, you technically are. And like maybe birth or your recovery was something that like ignited a symptom or an issue that just like, didn't get addressed because maybe you were in survival mode and it's just freaking hard. And you didn't understand that what you were experiencing, like wasn't normal or maybe it was normal, but I didn't know there was help for that. So you can identify as postpartum as you want.
1: Okay. So when we talk specifics, let's Mm -hmm. talk about the zero to six weeks. You just had a baby and maybe you're a coach and you get a text message, you text one of your clients, how are they doing? And they're like, I'm itching to move. What does that coach or what is that early postpartum human? What the, should they be doing those first six weeks?
0: Yeah, so like your brain might feel like you need to do something. You're like, I need to move. I need to exercise. I need to do something. I'm not used to taking all this time away, but your body is not ready. It is recovering from a significant physiological event, no matter how the baby came out. A C-section, like the, there's no right or best way to have a baby, both vaginal and C-section. Even if you say to me, that it was not, it wasn't complicated. Like there's no such thing as an uncomplicated birth, like birth in and of itself, physiologically is complicated. That's another thing that somebody will yell at me about, but it just is like, there is a lot happening in order to get a baby from inside of your body to outside of your body. And then what your body physiologically goes through in that recovery, in that delivery. And in those first 24 to 48 hours of life with a new human that you made. So there's a lot happening. It is kind of complicated. So you have to give your body time to physiologically heal. That means your vagina, your pelvic floor, everything has to kind of go. If there were stitches with a C-section, your incision needs trying to heal. Things are shrinking on the inside. You're passing a lot of blood. Like there is just a lot happening. Your boobs are probably kind of out of control, getting used to breastfeeding. You're not sleeping or if you are sleeping, it's a totally different kind of sleep. It's not good sleep. It's just, <laughs> you know, like one long night. it's just a lot of things are changing. It is a stressful period, even when you have a chill baby. And I had a wild baby and a very chill baby. And my body was under physiological stress from the healing process from both. Period even with a chill baby, even with like, oh, I'm actually getting better sleep this time around. You are still healing. You are still in a recovery stage. Just like if you had a knee surgery four weeks ago, your doctor would not tell you like, oh yeah, like just go out like on a little run. You're like, no, like you need to do some rehab first. Make sure your knee's okay. Then you got to probably do some squats to make sure that you can like go through a full range of motion and you have some muscular strength buildup. And then maybe we can introduce running, but like short duration, right? Like really short duration to make sure your knee doesn't feel like shit the next day. So we have to start having the same conversation before people are even cleared to exercise because athletes like to think they are the exception to the rules. And I say this because I also identify as the exception to a lot of rules sometimes until like life just humbles you, right? Right. And so I like to put this out there and say, like, you are not an exception. You are not. Postpartum does not discriminate. There is so much to recover from and so much to acclimate to that exercise needs to serve you. It should not stress you. And you might think, oh, but it's for my mental health. It's not stressing me. Yes. And it is a stress to your body and your body needs, needs to be in a place of preparation for that. Athletic readiness, that term is something I want you to keep in your brain at all times when you are postpartum, is athletic readiness. Can I go? Should I go? What is my true readiness for this movement, for this intensity, for this volume, for this load, for this exercise, for this routine, for this frequency, whatever it might be? Am I actually ready or do I just want to be ready? How do we know? Uh, time sucks time and practice and patience. listen to episode. I don't know what it is. I always do this. I always reference my I podcast. In the show I notes. never freaking know um, the episode I did with Dr. Aaron Horschig of squat university. So cool that I did that podcast by the way. <laughs> um, but we talked about patience and the value of that for people that are really wanting to pursue a lifetime of athleticism when you are not patient you get hurt period and that is that is not just pregnancy and postpartum that is that's athletes everywhere when you are not patient with your athletic readiness regardless of the circumstance that's when injuries happen that's when setbacks happen that's when symptoms start to kick in like You truly have to be patient and athletes are not always very good at being patient, but we are good at trusting a process. And so as coaches, we have to be able to teach process and show like, I know you want to do this. I'm talking with my hands here, but I know you want to run a half marathon at a year postpartum Miranda Granger. Like, I know you want to get a fight and be like, Feel like you are confident and ready to fight. Like that's, that's not just like a physical thing. That's a mental, and emotional preparedness and readiness, right? I need to know if that's what you want to do, how can I get you there fastest? I will get you there fastest. If you are slow to start and if you trust and you don't skip, you don't skip steps. You just slowly add a little bit more over time. And that is progressive overload. And we have just complicated the shit out of that.
1: So. If I'm hearing you right, (laughs) everybody who's listening has to be patient. This applies to everybody. Yeah. Doesn't matter how fit I was or how fit I am going into this. I have to go slowly.
0: Yes. My highest level athletes, the ones who get paid to perform, and I say this all the time because it is something us average people need to hear. Is are the oftentimes the easiest ones to coach, even though they technically have the biggest egos because they have the most on the line, they are willing to trust the process because they are used to that working, right? They know how to peak. That is what they have trained for their whole life is to know when to peak. And this is no different. We don't have, us average people don't have to peak, but like, I want to feel good enough, right? I want to be able to do the things I want to do and not have to second guess my body or if I can do something. And that's the season of life that I'm in. And that's mostly the season of life that you're in where we can like go and go do our workout, go on a run, go to jujitsu and be like, I trust my body to do its thing. And like, that's a good feeling. And that's a feeling that is earned over time and body education, body awareness, and so much freaking patience. And it sucks and it is hard and it is always worth it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. The slow way is the fast way. It is, but that's a,
0: again, it's really hard to buy into, but it seems in my experience of coaching a lot of different humans, it's us average people that want to think that we are an exception. So like, well, I'm going to sign up for a figure competition at six months postpartum, or I'm going to sign up for a CrossFit competition at four months postpartum. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to get back into strong, man. I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to start like pushing boundaries before my body's actually ready for it. And you know what? Like maybe your body adapts. And maybe it's cool. Maybe it's cool for a while until it's not. And that is, that's a theme I see a lot too, is that like around the year or maybe nine months to a year postpartum mark, they're like, God, I have some significant hip pain. I have a lot of back pain. I have plantar fasciitis in my foot. Like they have orthopedic symptoms too. It's not just like core and pelvic floor. It's the culmination of doing too much too soon when their body was not in a season of athletic or functional readiness for the type of stress and demand that they put on themselves. Not to mention we have this culture where it's like, don't look like I had a baby got to get back to doing the things I was doing before where we're trying to prove something to ourselves or to others. And just like, you know, like that, that postpartum fit mom culture of like, I just got to get my body back. Like, so we're motivated by these outside influences too, that have become incredibly normalized And it's not really serving us. That's not serving a a well-rounded athletic approach, but we are so led by desperation and insecurity and ego. And that's just a hard place to truly lead from if you're wanting that sustainability and you want to be three years postpartum, five years postpartum, 10 years postpartum, doing whatever shit you want to do. Yeah. Don't skip it. We have freaking time. We have time. And what a blessing it is. That we have time.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I want to close this loop on the zero to six weeks thing because that was like still there. <laughs> that was a hell of a tangent, and it was a good one though. Um, so, so we've established that we're not going to be running. We're not going to be doing anything yes. wild. Can we walk? Can we move yes. a little? What can we? Yes. What is that? What does okay, that? Okay, so like? zero
0: to six weeks is. A lot of rehab. It's getting familiar with your new body. It is walking for enjoyment, not walking for miles or exercise or set amount of time. It's just going to get out there and moving your body. You can start to do some like neuromuscular control exercises. And that's a lot of just breathing. Can you lay on your back, like inhale into your hands if they're on your belly? Now exhale, think about bringing your hands together with your ab muscles. Okay, cool. Now be able to like let that go getting into all fours, letting your belly just totally drop where you're not sucking it in. Just like let your flabby postpartum belly, which it will be, and is also super normal. Just let it go and and think about now, exhale, draw your belly button up towards your heart. Okay, cool. We're making some progress here. You're just getting reconnected with a system that has been super stretched out and probably has gone through some kind of trauma, C-section or vaginal trauma, trauma, right? So we're getting reconnected with that system. I hope you're, you have access to a pelvic floor physical therapist that you can try to get in and see around that six-ish week mark postpartum, just to get some feedback on like what you're doing and what your tendencies are, what you might need to have a heads up about. So if you're somebody who bears down a lot, or you're somebody who, you know, maybe has a significant diastasis, you need that feedback. It's a great time to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist because your doctor's going to tell you you're cleared for exercise. We we just want to be told that we're cleared and we're like good to go. And you know, tell us what I want to hear, right? And athletic readiness is that does not mean that you are cleared for what you were doing before or what you want to do. It means you're 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 not bleeding anymore. It means like everything like looks good on the inside. Maybe like your uterus looks better. Cool. Like okay, how does that influence exercise though? So you're cleared is not a green light for normalcy.
1: Yeah, that's so important. I'll never forget my six-week checkup with my third. And she was like, okay, yeah, you're cleared. And I like feet in stirrups like set up. And I was like, what does that mean? When are you not cleared? Like we had to get into like this yeah. whole thing, right? Because it's such a confusing topic. Like if you're cleared, that doesn't mean you're cleared. Like go all out.
0: Exactly. I had a great conversation with my OBGYN who's had become a really good friend and colleague. And she's like, okay, well, you're cleared, but you know what that means. You're cleared to go see your pelvic floor physical therapist. And like you're cleared to kind of do the things that now your scope of practice covers, not mine. And I just remember really loving that that it was like, we're passing the torch onto the next set of humans that have to step in and help progress this this person.
1: Yeah. So important. Okay. I, I'm going to ask a lot of really specific questions going forward about like the stages as okay. we talk about healing. However, before we do that, I want you to explain to the listeners what learn control load explode means, because I think they need to understand that before we can get into some of the nitty gritty. Okay. Okay.
0: Learn, control, load, explode helps explain what progressive overload is. And i we've mentioned this a few times, but progressive overload is doing more over time, working towards a goal. That goal looks different for everybody. Again, that might be a UFC fight. That might be a half marathon. That might be a CrossFit competition, or it's like, I want to go out into my garage and I want to work out three days a week. And I want to do that without pain. And I want to do that without symptoms. And I want to do that where I feel like really confident in moving in my body and that I know how to exercise. So like the end goal is different for every single human, every single human. I'd say the broad goal for every single human is try to stay injury-free, try to keep doing the activities that they like doing, whatever it is they like doing and to do it in the, the frequency that they want to do it in. Right. Like, that is think, is the end goal for a lot of humans is stay as healthy as I can by doing the things that I want to do and like to do. So if we can help them do that, then we're doing our job as coaches.
1: Okay, so... Okay. But I didn't talk about learn, control, load load. Load. Yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. So it's a framework that helps framework. us understand, like, the steps of learn or of progressive overload. Yeah. So what... They're like stages, right? Yes.
0: So learn, control, load, explode is... A framework that was introduced to me by Tom DeLong, who is a mentor and coach of mine um, in the strength and conditioning industry, and he died a couple years ago. And so, whenever I talk about this, it is extremely important that I don't go on the internet and see somebody else saying "learn control load explode" because that's not my shit. That is his intellectual property, and I want to just be extremely clear that if you use this framework, that you are crediting it to somebody who. Is no longer with us and made an extremely important impact on my life and so much of the coaching that we do. I've because I this is something I get like very any ground eight protective over. Like
1: <laughs> so now, and, is, it, but, well, and his, just a side note, his interview is consistently one of the most popular interviews inside of our coaching certification. Mm-hmm. People love it. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah,
0: and it's good. And I am so grateful that I have that in the coach course so that it can live on like so much of his brain and coaching philosophies and teachings can live on. And so this is one of the best things I learned from him because it helps show a process, right? And a lot of us want to understand, well, how do I actually progress somebody if I'm a coach or if I'm an athlete, how do I actually make progression? How do I know my athletic readiness? Well, this spells out athletic readiness while you still have A lot of creativity to lean into. And that's what I like about it is it's not rigid. It's really fluid in how we create progressions. So learn is neuromuscular control. That's learning with a PVC pipe. That's learning how to connect your core and pelvic floor to your breath. That is just your intake, right? That is white belt life as and jujitsu. You are learning themes, you are learning about your body, you're learning movement patterns, you're learning concepts. That is your intake time. That is the fourth trimester. Maybe that's aspects of your first trimester where you're trying to understand your body. And, okay. Like how do I need to adjust some of my breathing? Or how do I need to adjust this particular movement to be better for my pregnancy as it continues? And you know, in that fourth trimester, it's like, these are my rehab exercises and it's a little boring, but I know that it's going to transfer into the other things that I'm doing. So learn a stage of progressive overload is your intake. It is your body education, your movement education, your, and your practice of all of those things. Okay. Okay. And then we go into control. Control is when you're like, yeah, I understand my breathing. I can feel it. I get it. I understand this movement pattern. I'm ready to try more reps of it with my PVC pipe, or I'm ready to do more body weight movements of this squat because I feel really comfortable not aggravating my prolapse symptoms, not just with one or two squats, but I can control it over eight squats now, 10 squats now. If we want to scale this up to a higher level exercise, this is taking double unders where somebody who is symptomatic goes from like, okay, I understand the positioning. I understand my breathing and my cadence for this. Well, now I need to learn to control it by adding some volume. So maybe I can do five to 10 revolutions and I'm not peeing. That is so awesome. And that's because I have learned new concepts and I've been able to control it now for eight to 10 reps. So I hope that this helps spell out like what this kind of looks like. It's not just doing more body weight squats. It's it's progressing the intensity and the stimulus of a movement as well. Okay. And then from control, we go to load. I can control this throughout these reps and it feels really good. I'm not symptomatic. My form's not breaking down. I understand the movement pattern. I'm not resorting back to like my old ways, basically that created symptoms or aggravated my back pain or injury that I had before pregnancy. I'm feeling really good. Now I'm ready to add stimulus or I'm ready to add more load to it where I'm challenging that over time. I have my baseline, right? I have my baseline of understanding the mechanics. I have my baseline of understanding my strategies. I have the control of I've done it multiple times in a row without fatiguing, without causing symptoms, without causing pain, without breaking down. And now I'm going to challenge it with load. That's a barbell. That's a kettlebell. That's a dumbbell. That is even like things like tempo work where we're adding just like a different shift to the challenge where you make it a little bit harder to control those reps and to maintain some of those concepts that you've learned recently. So it's just another stimulus that we can add on. And we can be in that stage for a while because load can always be progressed. We can always make it harder. And then can I load and still control it for this many reps? And then what happens there? Right. And then we can say, we go back to that double under concept. Well, there's no like load in jumping, But we can do more reps, right? So we're like loading the challenge, we're loading the stimulus. And then that leads us into explode. So we have learn, control, load, explode. That's adding explosiveness, more dynamic movement, more challenging, like anaerobic efforts where you don't have time to think about these concepts. They need to come naturally now, right? You've you've put in those reps, you've drilled your snatch with the PVC pipe, you've gone to the barbell, you've added weight to it. And now like you got to lift heavy and you can't be thinking about all of your little, all of the little mechanics and things. You just have to feel it. And you have, your body need, needs to know what to do, right? That's explosiveness in that context. That's being able to do double unders and then do them faster and then add it. Like, so your cadence is changing and there's an explosive movement. And now you're going, not just your eight to 10 reps, but maybe 50 reps. And how does that feel? You know, you've, You've maintained the learning of those concepts that keep you feeling good. You're able to control it over a lot of volume. And now you're adding intensity by adding speed and by adding more reps to it. So all of that is like, we're increasing challenge. We're increasing the neuromuscular demand. So again, that's high impact. That's like gymnastics kind of movements. Uh And it's just being able to, to trust that your body and your brain are prepared because you've laid out a foundation to trust it, to respond automatically.
1: It makes so much sense. I don't think I took
0: a breath
1: at all. You probably didn't. Yeah. You probably didn't. You probably let that all out at once. So I I was really important. I'm glad you summarized that because I think that there, as we talk through maybe like different timeframes of postpartum, a lot of these themes are of learn, control, load, explode are going to be woven into that. So I wanted the listeners to really understand your overarching framework, but let's talk like specifics. Let's like get our, make our nerds really happy now who have their like notepads ready. So when we are cleared at six weeks postpartum, we are feeling pretty good. We're ready. We know we're not going to go to CrossFit and do 50 burpees and 50 thrusters. Like I did on my first postpartum workout. We're, we're smarter than that. What does a workout in that early six to 12 weeks postpartum look like?
0: It's a lot of those rehab concepts. So we're teaching that movement education, that body connection, mind body connection. I know it sounds so lame and overused, but it's really getting yourself to pay attention to the things within your body that you've never had to pay attention to before. So we're using exercise as a way to teach that for them to feel it in their body, feel what their abs are doing, feel their pelvic floor contract, feel their pelvic floor, be able to lengthen and expand and know that that's a muscle. This core system is a muscle that has to work together to support the rest of the stuff that you want to do. And it's going to facilitate healing a diastasis, improving incontinence, improving uh, prolapse symptoms, improving pain and decreasing risk of further orthopedic injury. But what that actually looks like is prioritizing rehab exercises and then starting to introduce compound movements. Because again, whether a mom is trying to pursue high level performance and fitness, or she wants to just kind of be like a recreational exerciser who's squatting with her kids and going to the park and not having a lot of back pain or peeing herself, is to incorporate compound movements into her programming because they her exercise, especially postpartum, needs to match activities of daily living. That's carrying, that's squatting, that's hinging, that's being able to reach overhead and push, that's being able to have exercise that complements all of her activities of daily living. And that is what I think programming should look like in that fourth trimester, uh, first you know, 12 to 16 weeks postpartum is just having movements where, where they're squatting, where she's deadlifting. And this does not have to be heavy. This can literally be like light. This can be bands. This can be uh, dumbbells. This does not have to be like heavy, heavy weight or anything like that. And frankly, it shouldn't be heavy. Your postpartum, you're like first uh, zero to 16 ish weeks postpartum is all the learn and the control and some load stage. And when I say load, it is very moderate load. It's load that matches activities of daily living. And it's load that feels like very simple compared to what they were doing prior to pregnancy.
1: So when you say it matches activities of daily living, do you mean like I got a 25 pound toddler? So it's about 25 pounds of load?
0: Yeah. Can you carry your uh, 25 pound kettlebell? in your farmer's walk, because you're going to be doing that with your kid in one hand and your car seat in the other, right? You got to be able to make that trip or, you know, can you do a front racked kettlebell carry because you're going to be baby wearing. And are you able to squat with that kettlebell because you're going to be squatting with that baby on you or holding your toddler. And does that kettlebell have to be under 10 pounds? no. I mean, unless that's the appropriate weight for you, which is a very individual thing, but should it be like a 55 pound kettlebell because that's what you were doing before? Also, no, that does not match your athletic readiness for right now. And you can make it more challenging by adding more volume. So that's where the control comes in. Are you able to squat well? Are you able to move well? Are you able to keep your core upright when you're doing your farmer walks instead of just like collapsing to one side or feeling like your shoulder's just gonna rip out of its socket because you're not stacked, you're not generating good tension. You're not getting good strides there, or maybe then your pelvic floor feels really heavy after that movement. Okay. What does that tell you about, um, your body right now? Maybe it was too far. Maybe it was too heavy or maybe your form was off or you're just squeezing your ass the whole time to try to compensate. And now your pelvic floor is super fatigued from having to do that.
1: Okay. Like if I'm a trainer right. And I'm putting together a program for my postpartum client. And during this stage with those compound movements, how many sets do you, would you have them do of something like that? And what would those reps look like?
0: Yeah. And again, compound movements are always lower volume of sets because we want to maintain the quality control of those. So I'd say your rep range is anywhere from like four to six,
1: four to six. So even though I used to barbell back squat, 150 pounds. Now I have maybe a 20 pound dumbbell that yeah. I'm holding like in the goblet position. You can't see this, but I'm doing it for you. So I'm holding that there and I'm still just doing four to six reps.
0: Yeah. Four to six reps of like three to four sets would be really good. good because again, you are building your capacity. It should feel easy. That's the point, is to give yourself a higher ceiling to work towards, right? Like You want to be able to slowly progress so that you're not getting these setbacks. When you try to like go too fast, too soon, you hit your ceiling a hell of a lot faster. And that's not good for anybody. That really like goes against what your actual goal is.
1: Okay, so I'm I'm doing my compound movement. Mm -hmm. Should I superset that with anything? Yeah, and it depends
0: on like the human. So some people might need to do some like rehabby down training movements after their deadlifts because maybe they get like, a lot of pressure or they're having some pelvic pain. So that'd be a good time to superset it with some down training movements. Some people maybe need a little bit more like engagement of their pelvic floor. So you could kind of incorporate rehab into a superset, which I feel is a great way to kind of meet the athlete where they are um, because they're going to be overdoing boring rehab. They just did that for their you know, first six to eight weeks postpartum. So you can make their, their program like you can Fit it into their program a little bit more easily, or you can throw in like a core exercise where it's still rehabby, but you get that buy-in of like I would feel like I'm doing something, right? I feel like I'm doing something for my abs. But the main focus, these things should be simple because the main focus, the higher neuromuscular demand, is this squat. Right, is them having to really focus on incorporating that neuromuscular demand of those movements into the squat, kind of taking what they just did in their rehab exercise and putting some of those concepts and strategies of how they're breathing or what they're feeling, how much tension they're generating into the squat or into the deadlift.
1: Okay. And you mentioned either down training or maybe cueing more pelvic floor engagement for that secondary movement. How, what are some clues that a coach could look for to help find that maybe like ideally they'd go to a pelvic floor physical therapist. They'd come armed with that information, but not everyone's going to do that. So as a coach, what cues could I be looking for?
0: Um, first I would say, if you don't know this, then enroll in my coaching certificate (laughs) postpartum athleticism, because that will help guide you. And as far as like looking at clues from the outside in, but typically people that are squeezing their glutes a lot, or they're sucking in their abs quite a bit. Um, they're just like a higher tension person. They likely have a hypertonic, which means tight pelvic floor, and they need to be able to downtrain it and learn how to relax and let go of their belly and let their pelvic floor lengthen. So getting them into that all fours position is really helpful. That's probably one of my favorite ones for getting that buy-in and understanding even like the quadruple, like rocking, like that can be really effective too, because it helps them just like let go mm-hmm. um, instead of, because, you know, of gravity, like gravity helps them actually let go versus putting them upright. Well, then we're more inclined to like hold everything in versus just And when you're working in that hinged position, you're able to let things go a little bit easier. So yeah, the grippiness, the tightness. Um, But if somebody cannot feel their pelvic floor at all, like, and that can also be another cue is just like, get your hands on them with their permission and consent and whatnot, but, you know, like help them feel like, okay, I want you to inhale into my hands. I want you to exhale, like engage your pelvic floor. You can use a variety of cues. Again, I go over so much of that's in the coach course, But I think it's just having an ongoing conversation. What kind of symptoms are you having? Do you have to pee? Do you have urgency or you're not making it to the bathroom? You just pee all over yourself. Like these are big conversations to have to try to get some more context about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, and then watching them move. Their movement will tell you so much. And if you're a coach, you understand like good form. And I know that there's, that's also a gray area that people want to fight over, but like Look, there's, there's like ideal form for a reason and we need to coach people close to that first. And when they've mastered their good form, that's when they have a little bit of a gray area to move into shitty form under certain circumstances.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of Rather sense. Rather
0: tangent, but you know.
1: That's okay. Okay, so we've got these compound, this compound movement. We're pairing it with some kind of rehab. What's next?
0: So from rehabby into what, what would you pair with that?
1: So we'd probably do, you know, you mentioned like three to four sets in that range. And then we would probably move into more accessory work, right? Like what kind of things would we jump into? I personally
0: like to have accessory work that's complementary to what the compound movement was because we're building off those patterns. And again, we want to get that mental buy-in. So if we're, they were doing squats, well then maybe like we can complement that by like hamstrings. Okay. So Let's do some RDLs or why, why don't we introduce some single leg variations too, um, if that feels okay for them. And just, you can pick complementary lower body exercises to go along with whatever the compound focus was for that day.
1: And in this earlier postpartum stage, we're probably like in this learn control spot in this, you know, whatever, thir- 12, right. 16 weeks postpartum, what should the reps and sets look like at that stage? Yeah.
0: I still think it can be like somewhat hypertrophy reps where that's, you know, in that six, eight, 10 ish range where we're trying to really maintain quality control. That can be really good for them too. Yeah. It just really kind of depends on the movement, but for just doing some like bridges or like some glue bridges or those like single leg stuff, like the more complex it is, the lower level but like, say like a bridge, for example, is fairly easy movement for a lot of people. You could go higher range on that. It's just making those adjustments for the individual and know that there is just, there's just a range and ranges are normal and okay. When you're programming, you can say like eight to 12, like let them choose.
1: Mm-hmm. They'll
0: probably choose 12 because I think more is better, but then remind them that better is better.
1: That's me. I always do that. I know. Um, now, what about number of exercises at this point in time. So we probably had two up here in our, with our compound and our superset. How many accessory exercises should we do? Maybe three, three Three. We're
0: early postpartum. And then like, you can give them a little circuit to work through. That's kind of like rehabby mixed with like, okay, if they were doing a compound, like loaded squat, then maybe we just have them do a body weight squat or a different variation of a squat. And, you know, maybe like another, accessory kind of movement. And we just have them compound those movements together in a circuit. So they feel like they're moving, but they're not, they're not overextending themselves. And that's pretty similar to what we did in the eight week postpartum athlete training program is like, look, I know that the people who are buying that program are itching to do more, to feel like they're exercising. Right. So I can give them the stimulus of like, they're kind of working through a 10 minute AMRAP or whatever, but it's all movement and speed appropriate for where their body is at right now. And that's the thing is like, are we, there's no right or perfect exercise. And that's why, like, I know I'm not giving like the answers that everybody wants. Like, tell me what exercises you do. tell me exactly the sets and exactly the reps. And we just have to go off of loose framework and general themes, and then be able to adapt those themes for the person that we're working with or the class or the kind of vibe that we're working with.
1: Yeah, no, I actually think this is really helpful. Like when I have envisioned myself years ago when I was actively doing this, I think this would have been really helpful. And, and as we look into more this like six month ish postpartum range, the structure is probably going to be similar, right? Like of what we just set up compound accessory, maybe a little circuit. How um, does the volume and the sets, like the overall exercise volume and rest and everything change as we move?
0: You might that? add an extra set for your compound Movements, but generally speaking, compound movement reps are lower because you're doing those for strength, right? Like you're doing progressively add load over time, but and that is a stimulus that is changing, but you're not necessarily adding like going from five reps to 10, unless you're now trying to train for hypertrophy, which is fine. But again, if we're trying to prioritize it as getting stronger over time. You can incorporate hypertrophy kind of training into a lot of the accessory work that you're going to be doing.
1: Yeah. So maybe our compound, we went from three sets to four and we increased the load a little bit. Yeah. You
0: could do like three sets of five initially. And then like now this cycle where you're progressing, maybe you're going to do four sets of six. It's not dramatically different. It's just different enough. It's a change in stimulus, even if it's just a mental stimulus.
1: Yeah. And then with that hypertrophy, we're going, can we add more sets there as well at this yeah, stage you could, Or you could like
0: you know have like a superset and then like now add another two exercises to superset on top of that. So you're adding so say there's like three exercises that you're working through and then maybe now you add two exercises you after that that you superset and you work through. So now you're just adding more variety to your accessory lifts. Or you add an extra set. If you go from three sets to four sets, or you add more volume, like you're going from eight reps to 10 reps for that particular exercise. There's a lot of freedom in here. And I think that coaches are so systematic and that is good. And you have to get creative to maintain interest in the way that's still going to keep progressing them.
1: Yeah. And I think just to speak from our own experience, this is something we talk about all the time (laughs) is that like strength and conditioning principles with like keeping your human, ha- right. like interested and happy. Right. And that's like, that's your work as a coach to, you know, be constantly right. trying to figure that out.
0: Right. It's like so much of strength and conditioning is just the consistency of like, I mean, I have been back squatting for 20 years um, on Mondays, basically <laughs> <I freaking laughs> like that, but like, you know, it's, I hope I'm back squatting when I'm 80 and it's because it's a good exercise for me right now. If it stops being a good exercise for me at some point in my life, like, okay, but then I'll find another variation of it. You know what I mean? Like there always options. We just have to be able to creatively look at it and know that it's the sum of our habits and our movement patterns. Like we are prioritizing movement patterns that will help us be better lifelong Athletes, not just postpartum athlete, not just this kind of like no, like for your freaking life. You have to squat for your life. You have to squat, you have to hinge, and you can train those movements in a way that complements the body you're in right now with your level of athletic readiness now on behalf of long-term.
1: Yeah, I think it as coaches, like it's okay to look at your programming and think this looks a little boring or like this looks similar from week to week. That's, that's normal, right? It is normal. And it's like,
0: like, I hope you can also look at that and find security in that, that like, it's actually working. I'm not getting injured. I feel really good and I'm doing similar things, but I'm making progress because guess what? I just lifted 20 pounds heavier than I did last cycle. So that's freaking cool. Or I'm using the heavier dumbbells for my set of eight. And I wasn't doing that before. Or now I'm able to control it with tempo without my back going out and feeling like shit the rest of the day. I like my form has improved. My control has improved. Um, like my body composition has improved because I've been consistent, like flashy and intense and throw you into the ground. Sometimes that is good you and I both like a good kick me in the ass kind of workout. And we have to have well-rounded strength and conditioning to be that lifelong athlete. Intensity cannot be done every single day without there being some kind of repercussion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People
0: won't it like it. You can't be doing like three days and have that be your strategy for long-term because it's not a long-term strategy.
1: Yeah. Nope. Sure isn't. So I I think we have summed this up very well in terms of like what an overall framework can look like, how we can add load and volume over time and what that looks like. The last thing that I really want to hit on, actually I have two things that I still want to hit on. The first is introducing impact back in. You talked a little bit during the learn, control, load, explode about double unders, but impact activities often induce some incontinence or like feeling of like Ooh, that just doesn't feel good how what should that look like because often what it does look like is someone tries to do 50 or a hundred double unders to like come back in what should it actually look like from your in your opinion?
0: Just like everything else it's relearning the fundamentals of what your body is ready for how do I absorb impact how do I produce force right? So if we're trying to produce force, that's that repetitive jumping and being able to create the the actual like getting off of the ground. But then we also have to be able to absorb the force of coming back down. So we can simulate that without a rope, without a lot of high volume, by doing some exercises. You know, on one leg, can you can you balance on one leg? Can you balance on the other leg? Okay, can you jump and land and sort of absorb that? And how does that feel? Just a slight tiny. I know no one can see me right now, but like being able to jump, absorb, stand. How does it feel? Does it feel like my vagina is falling out or does it feel like I'm able to absorb that impact in my glutes as well? And not just squeezing and holding at the top, right? So it's being able to kind of work with taking the stimulus and scaling it down and scaling it down. And coaches are really good at that. We're so good at finding modifications. So when you're trying to think about Jump rope. What's a modification for jump rope? Okay, well, let's not use the rope. Okay, what's another modification for jump rope? Okay, can we do like calf raises? Just come up on your toe? Or can we just have them like jump for a second and then come back down and then jump again and then come back down? So now we're slowing the tempo. Get creative in your scaling. There is no right or best way to progress. It's just taking the stimulus and making shit less complicated.
1: What about rest? Like when you're in the middle of relearning jump roping, maybe it's going well. Maybe you're like, you don't feel excellent, but you feel pretty good. Should we be stopping and adding rest in before we repeat? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And similar to, I don't remember where in the podcast, we talked about this, but giving your body an opportunity to reset. And that's like neuromuscular control. That's your brain being able to go like, okay, what was it we just did? What was my like form or what was my strategy for that? Okay. Can I do that? Yes. And can I do that for short amount of like short amount of time or just a couple um, revolutions or whatever it might be, a couple reps and then resetting again so that you are building capacity and building confidence. And when you can train that pattern and that feeling, it's like you can find that flow. And athletes are so good at that. And I I know not everyone does jujitsu, but there's this uh, like you have to repeat patterns a lot, like so much. And then you forget them and then you have to repeat them again and you go through them again and you're like, God, and then finally you're rolling around and you're like, Oh wait, this feels familiar. And I can't exactly tell you all the steps, but I know what to do now because I have drilled it so many freaking times and you know what to do. And it's the same, like that's the beauty of exercise and movement in general is it is a feeling your body knows what to do. And symptoms are just feedback telling you do shit differently. This isn't working right now. Do it differently. The same way we know if your knees caving in when you squat and you start to get knee pain. Okay. I need to do something differently so that I don't have this knee pain. It is the same thing but we have been told to dismiss it or told that it's very normal postpartum. That does, that's such a huge disservice for female
1: athletes. Uh, I actually had to write that one down. That's so good. I don't even know what I said. A typical. You said <laughs> that Symptoms are just a sign to do something differently.
0: Yeah. I mean, but God, that's like, like seriously think about it. That is just fitness and athletic readiness in general. That is, it's the basics of what we know about exercise and movement. And it is something that gets forgotten. We try to make shit so complicated when really it's like, what's another way of doing it? That is that is really the basics of, of exercise progression and exercise regression is what can, when scaling, like that is the science and art of scaling.
1: We, we started this little tangent about jump roping. I want to close it with running because so many women love running and I don't understand them, but I, I support you if you are a runner yourself. But the it, when we are beginning to introduce running postpartum, it is going to be similar to impact, right? We shouldn't just yeah. go out for a mile straight run. No,
0: no. We have to learn our new body mechanics, right? We have to then control those strength training should absolutely be part of every runner's exercise programming in general. We, we have the evidence for that. We know that it's important. Like we know. And I think that just, it gets forgotten, but especially postpartum, we have to get all of the muscles, all the support structure around the, the mechanics of running to work with what our, our readiness is, right? like. We have to have strong legs. Our calves have to be, we have to be able to absorb force. We have to be able to produce force. We have to have control on a single leg, our transfer movement. So thinking about like walking lunges, are we like kind of wobbly doing those? We don't feel very strong. Well, then like, how are we supposed to now go out on a two mile run? There's no control there, right? So like we're missing this element running in and of itself. is, it, is, is it, It's an explosive movement and it's repetitive explosive movement where there's a shit ton of force absorption here. And that force is being absorbed by the pelvic floor too. So it is a very technical and hard movement to get back to. So you have to have strength training that prioritizes complementary movements to running. And then you have to introduce the progression of running and the intensity of running really strategically. So that can look like intervals, but not intervals where we're pushing like cardiovascular um, capacity or anything. We're not trying to like do sprints, But can you run uphill well? How does that feel? Because that puts you in that automatically, like that tits over toes position, which I love for running. That gets you a longer stride. Also really important for running. Mommies often go into that like super bouncy, upright stride with that tucked glutes. And then they start peeing and they're like, why? And I mean, so much of this is positional and then so much of it is is pelvic floor threshold. So again, we have to scale the mechanics of running and say, It's an explosive movement. So what kind of learn, control, load exercises can we put in front of the intensity of running, the explosiveness of running? And then how can we take running in and of itself outside of strength exercises and scale it? And that can be scaling duration. That can be scaling distance. That can be scaling the incline. And that can be building in a lot more intervals. Like you're going to run from here to there, and then you're going to rest for a while and you're going to reset. How do your symptoms feel? And then you know what? Tomorrow, how does your vagina feel? How does your ankle feel? How does does your knee feel? What about the next day? Okay. Still feeling good. Let's try to run again now. Or we're not just like hoping we're good and to go and they'll do the same thing tomorrow. Because no, we need time. We need patience. So boring. But so but that's it. Like that's just it.
1: Yeah, back to that patience, kind of right mm-hmm. where we started. Yeah. So before we go today, I think that we need to talk about this concept of athletic leaps because <sighs> there is it's you explain it always so beautifully. And from my experience and with so many women that I've talked to and coached and whatever, there are just different times in that first year or so postpartum where people are like, yeah, I just feel better. You yeah. Feel better. And we've had so many conversations about this, like, and we don't have a lot of evidence to support why, but can you speak to the concept of these leaps?
0: Something that I have noticed in the last eight years of coaching pregnant and postpartum athletes and within myself. So that's how I'm going to preface. This is an observation is that there is an athletic leap met at certain times postpartum where suddenly you're like, I feel a little bit better, or maybe I'm seeing body composition changes, or I'm feeling better in my exercise routine, whatever it might be. that tends to be around the four month postpartum mark, again, around six to seven months postpartum between a nine and 10 months postpartum between 12 and 13 months postpartum. And then around 18 months postpartum. That's just when people tend, and there might be big milestones in there. Maybe they're getting more sleep. Maybe they've stopped breastfeeding. Like, I don't know. Maybe they're at a body composition that feels more like their typical baseline for them. There's a lot of factors, but there seems to be, there just seems to be these distinct points that, again, are very fluid. They're on along a, a long spectrum where you just start to notice some changes. And that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, like total green light, like, oh, I'm good to go. I'm feeling really good at four months postpartum. No, it's just like, it's just something to add of like my athletic readiness is improving. Even if I still have symptoms, even if I'm still struggling in these areas or this particular exercise, how do I feel in my body? Am I making progress? How do I feel in my routine? Am I making progress? How do I feel in my life? Like, not everything is going to be this like green check mark. Right. But we can take little bits and pieces of that and know that things will start to regulate a little bit more and you will have been building that capacity and improving your athletic readiness. And time has a lot to do with that.
1: Yeah. I'm in trust. I'm in trust. And I think for coaches, this is a really important thing for you to like a little nugget to put in your head so that you can point these times out to your clients when mm-hmm. you see the progress that they're making, when you see that maybe like this rep is getting easier, yep. or like this rep range is getting easier where before they struggled before, but now they can do 10 or whatever it is like in pointing those out to your clients is so important because sometimes when you're like in the thick of like raising humans and you're healing your body and you're trying to get back, it can be hard to see that yourself, but good coaches can bring that to the attention. To their clients.
0: Point out their strides. You're like, Hey, like, you've been doing awesome. Like you look great. Like you seem like you're feeling great. Like, how are you feeling? And like, just being able to check in and have conversations and know, like, like just that encouragement, extra layer of encouragement. That's not always attached to like, Oh, it's because they look like they did prior. It's just like, how are you feeling? And I notice that you're moving well. I notice that like, you seem different. You're presenting differently. You're training differently.
1: Point out those things. Yeah, it's so important. Okay, well, that's everything I have. You, this was so helpful. I think this will help so many coaches and so many athletes. And I think it's an important thing to point out here that we do have the coaching certification for any coaches who are watching this and they want to understand more about this. Like you get into so much more in-depth. Yeah. In that course.
0: Absolutely. Because I noticed that, you know, there are so many people that come into the coach course to be who they needed, or maybe they have their CPT or their kinesiology degree, but they just, like, they still feel, obviously they don't know how to coach pregnant and postpartum athletes, but they're still disconnected. Like, and how do I actually apply this? Like, what does it look like? What are, and so we do cover a lot of the programming themes that are needed and encourage creativity because there is, this is not rigid stuff. Like these are just general themes to go off of and where you can understand the science, but really lean into the art that is coaching. And I really want to empower more coaches to embrace that. It's a gift. It's like such a unique ability to be able to be a coach and figure out your own voice and figure out your own way to apply the clientele that you attract.
1: Yeah. So important. Well, thank you so much for this today. It was so good.
0: Yes. Thank you for helping walk through a lot of these big concepts and making me go like less, like, I don't know, (laughs) abstract.
1: (laughs) I was going to say SAS, but abstract is nicer. Yeah. Yeah. Something
0: like that. All right. Thank you all for listening. Hey everyone. I wanted to let you know that enrollment for my coaching certification program, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism opens soon. So if you are a coach, an athlete, a practitioner, somebody in the medical community who wants to change the game for pregnant and postpartum athletes, this is the certification course for you. Go ahead and get on the waitlist for it. That's at www.briannabattles.com slash waitlist. I would love to have you join the team of international coaches that are truly making a difference in their online and local communities. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will uplevel your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information and this work.